Rev Divers. We are super excited today because we've got a very special guest. But before we introduce our special guest, Kim and I have had a career goals moment. We're super excited about this. Um, Kim, I don't know about you, but I mean, did, did you like clap your hands when you heard this news? I absolutely did. And it was so exciting. Guys, what we're talking about is Becker's Healthcare's uh, has listed our podcast as the, in their top 10 most highly listened to podcasts. Um, that's a big deal for us because when we both started this podcast, we were seriously just doing this as, you know, a, a, a venting session almost. And, uh, you know, and <laughs> right. It was, a, a, yeah. time, a time to just kind of let our hair down and talk about some of the challenges that we see in healthcare organizations around the country. Um, so Taya, I know for you, like we're both really passionate about making sure that the word about revenue cycle integrity and improvement gets out there um, to the masses. Oh man, it, it was super exciting for me. You know, we've had Scott on the show. We've been on on Becker's, obviously. That's how we ended up at, um, I'll say we weren't just in the top 10, we were number eight. So like, we had a couple of extra spots before we got booted out of the top 10 for that episode. And um, it was just very exciting. It was very cool because, you know, we, we started all of this trying to give back to the industry. The industry has given a lot to us, to our families, to our communities. And we're just trying to help people keep lights on and, and let the doctors be doctors, take care of their patients and let everybody work together. So that was super cool. And we wanted to share it with all of our rev divers because obviously none of this is possible without all of you listening in. So um with that said guys we have a super exciting guest to to chat with today and you may have heard of this company before you may have not heard of this company before it's a small tiny little company called <laughs> Availity right we all know Availity um we are super super excited today to have Russ on with us Russ welcome to the show thanks guys and congratulations being in the top 10 that's awesome Thank you. We're super proud. I think the t-shirts and the trophies will be made later at some time. And then uh, just for good luck, I probably won't wash it. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Wear it every day. Just don't wash it. Just go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we are super excited to have you on the show. I have to tell you um, the number of clients that we have that are using Availity is astronomical. And it's for good reason. You guys do great work oh. at what you're doing and, and having had this opportunity to just kind of shoot the breeze with you for the last 20 minutes <laughs> we started recording the secrets behind the episode. Um, it's just very, very cool to get to, to know you and a little bit more about your vibe and that it so much matches ours. So tell us a little bit about you and availability and what you guys do before we dive into the other stuff. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Well, first again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be with you. And, um, you know, Availability has been around for 23 years and it was interesting in our little pre-discussion, which we, like I said, we probably should have recorded that, you know, if you go back to the very beginning, right, when this thing was created as a joint venture between two health plans, and I know we'll talk about this today, but the sort of balance and the relationship between providers and payers is one that's fascinating to me. Um, providers get a tremendous amount of value from Availability. It was started by two health plans, uh, Florida Blue and Humana, you know, right here in uh, sunny, way too hot uh, Florida right now, you know, on the on the premise that if we can create a place uh, where a provider can go to interact with the majority of the payers that they do business with, right, as opposed to going out to, you know, 
Florida Blues portal and Humana's portal and Aetna and all the others, if we create a single destination for providers to go and interact with us, we should be able to do a couple of things. One, reduce the abrasion uh, in pain points between providers and payers. Two, once we do some of the basics and candidly, if you go back to the beginning, things like, you know, eligibility and benefits, claim status, you know, are sort of the core building blocks of that administrative relationship between plans and providers. But once we get past that, there's so much room to innovate uh, in the relationship between what we know are not always aligned constituents um, that it actually made sense to invest and create this, this platform. And I was laughing, we were talking about sort of our mission and I'm a big believer in you know, knowing the why as a company, you know, why do you, why do you do what you do? Um, go back to the beginning, the tagline for Availity, even though it was founded by health plans in the very beginning, the tagline was patience, not paperwork. All the way back to day one, right? Was let's get to your point you made, right? Let's get providers off the phone, off the fax machine. I keep threatening to blow up a fax machine at one of our conferences to put an end to the damn thing. Oh, can um, I go to that conference? You're, you're coming. Well, you may or will be coming to that conference because I'm going to blow this thing up next week. Back machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, that was the thesis, right? Back to the very, very beginning. And, you know, fast forward to today, we are uh, blessed to have had um, some really great success over the years. Today, we have sort of 30 plus health plans that interact with their provider networks exclusively through us. We have 3 million active providers in the network. This year, we'll process, you know, 13 billion transactions. And if you just look at just claims alone, the, the build claims through our network will be close to $3 trillion um, this year. So what that really means for us, and I'll shut up and, and make sure we're having a conversation, but what that really means for us is that it's not about the number of transactions or the, the dollar amount. It's the fact that there's just a tremendous amount of activity and engagement through this network that we think about, you know, how do we leverage that to really start to innovate around some of the more complex challenges in uh, in healthcare administrative workflow? Well, let me let me just first say, as a user of Availity, <laughs> um, it, it's it's always important for revenue cycle folks to have access to um, innovative technology. And one of the reasons why we think that's important um, is because uh, you know, it, it's all about data integrity, right? Yeah. So the information yeah. that we have in our EMR practice management software, it needs to be validated before we actually start using it. That's a cornerstone of a successful revenue cycle. That's where it all starts, mm -hmm. right? Um, from the perspective of the, the, you know, the technology that Availity has, can you speak to, uh, you know, some of the trends that you're seeing yeah. in eligibility, verification benefits, use of that data, interfacing that that data. Um, obviously, Availity is a leader in that area. And we just love to hear your thoughts about, you know, how that um, how that yeah. data is, is going to look. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a huge believer in the old phrase that content is king. Um, so, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You have to start with quality data. And, you know, we could you guys know this space better than I do, but you can spend a lot of time sort of unpacking where the data flow starts and how you get at it. But to specific to your question, I see sort of two key themes for us. One is um, data quality and granularity. So let's use benefits determination, coverage discovery, you know, kind of kind of issues, right? I think 
Um, we've really been pushing on our plan partners to get to a, a higher degree of granularity around coverage information, right? So, you know, don't just tell me that this uh, patient is approved for orthopedic uh, coverage, but give me specificity around um, what that coverage looks like down to um, ICD code level granularity, right? So, so that I think is key to, um, to, to a part of a problem I'll talk about in a second. The second part is timeliness, right? So, you know, make sure that in my pre-service activities, I can get all of the content that I need to know well in advance. What's the conversation I need to have with this patient when they show up at my front door, right? It's, it's you have coverage for this and not for that. It's pre-cert is required, authorizations required. If, you know, and we're gonna, I know we're gonna get into auth, but you know, if that auth is required, let's trigger that auth process from a 271, right? Don't wait until I'm standing yeah. in line, right? Trigger it off the 271, you know, and this is where I think you start to inject the responsible use of AI to say, look, 99 times out of 100, if I'm running an EMV for a, um, for, you know, Rust, I'll use an example. I'm out rucking with my dogs this morning and I actually tripped over the curb and rolled around. I rolled down the boulevard, right? With a 40 pound pack on my back. Oh, it's There's hilarious. An 10 code for that. There's an ICD-10 code for that. And <laughs> to your point, that ICD-10 code is one that likely has an authorization requirement before you get an MRI, right? So if I know, if I send a 270 for that particular code, right? then the response should trigger an authorization process because it's likely I'm going to end up with an MRI or at least give the provider the option of triggering that pre-service versus, you know, somewhere way down the line. So a long-winded response to your question, but I think that's how you start to get at some of the downstream problems. So if you ask me what my real ob objective is at Availity, it's to um, stop throwing eggs off the side of the building and trying to catch them down below. It's get downstream into post-pay, um, post-adjudication workflows that today make, you know, make uh, revenue cycle folks crazy and start to move those rules up into a pre-service, pre-adjudication gateway so you can interact between provider and payer before the claim ever gets, you know, you hit send on the claim to trigger it through. I love that. And I think you're speaking to something that Kim and I say on a regular basis, which is, that revenue cycle management cannot solely be reactive. There has to be preventive care done to the revenue cycle. And it does, it starts with that 270 and 271. And for those of our rev divers who are like, I don't know what that is. We're talking about that eligibility and benefit verification process where you're sending out a request, is the patient eligible and getting that response in. That's that 270, 271. Um, but it, I think it, it starts there, right? And, and when you're not looking at your data and what your data is telling you, and there's so much data available in our clearinghouses and our practice management systems, then you end up treating symptoms, right? And, and saying things like, I just yeah. went through a client this morning, their goals for the year. And one of them was um, they wanted the department, the revenue cycle department to write off less claims. And I was like, wow. That's really bold. Why is that on revenue cycle solely? What about yeah. intake? What are the reasons that you're writing things off? Uh, if they're primarily authorizations or not covered, um, you know, injectables, things like that. How does that end up 
being the responsibility of the revenue cycle team, that should be your fail safe, right? Do you see a lot of that happening where, where, cause yeah. Tim and I do, where people's minds are blown, like, oh, we should be looking at this before the claim's been sent out. Oh, and yeah. that's shocking to us that people aren't looking at that sooner. Well, to your point, I think the forward thinking, we'll talk about provider side for a minute and we can come back to, to, to the payers, but I think the forward thinking our um, health systems are combining that uh, intake with the revenue cycle, because to your point, getting the data right at intake and answering the questions properly at intake will save you a tremendous amount of downstream you know, frustration. So yeah, I, I absolutely think that trend ought to work. But I would say this, and this is where, you know, point solutions can be problematic because if I've got a pre-service intake point solution, and I won't pick on our competitors, but you know, point solution run by company A, um, and then they are using, you know, availability for claim submission, denial management, you know, the downstream stuff, there can be a fairly big delta in the quality of the information um, between those two applications. So again, sort of selfishly, I think, you know, whatever you're using uh, in your rev cycle should be extended out to your intake to derive consistency of content. Again, content is king, consistency of information. And, you know, part of that is also making sure that we're not overburdening our, our intake staff or any of our staff with multiple technology stacks. Yeah. Right. So having to log in here and getting information from there and systems not speaking to one another. Um, when we think about some of the the work, the, the workforce uh, recruiting and retention challenges that we have Huge. in healthcare overall, that doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help that we have seven different portals that our teams need to access. Uh, and I, it, it sounds like, you know, when, when you think about what Ability has to offer and, and even just um, optimizing um, these types of features, I'm sure you would agree that having interoperability or just kind, kind of having all of the, the necessary features under one umbrella is best practice, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and by the way, I think it's a little bit incumbent upon us, and I mean Ability specifically, to um, ensure that interoperability of content. So, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but, you know, availability, if you look at sort of our revenue mix as a company, we're 75, 25 payer provider. So majority of our revenue is driven by payers where we get hired to be the gateway for the payer to drive all of their connectivity with their entire provider network. Where we are moving strategically to your point, Kim, is making sure that whether a provider is using an availability application, which we obviously love it when they do that, or a third party application, including our competitors applications, that we are making the content available in easily digestible, integratable format. So for us, that means a pretty heavy investment in APIs um, and AP, you know, granular level RESTful APIs at discrete levels of a transaction service. So it's not, it doesn't have to be a full 270 API. It can be a, um, what's a good example, an accumulator, right? Cause that's a specific element of a 270 uh, transaction process. And we're, we're investing in that. It's, it's a business growth opportunity for us because there's value in that content. I'll use our enhanced claim status 
uh, transaction or enhanced claim status API that we're now deploying, it, the quality of content in that enhanced claim status is one that will keep a provider from having to pick up the phone and call. Right? Don't just tell me my, my claim is pended. Tell me why it's pended and what I can expect to happen next. Absolutely. And, and for the listeners in the show, we're obviously not selling availability. He, he totally didn't pay us to say any of this. So it goes without saying, like, I want to circle back to something you said earlier, like, yes, you absolutely love it when people are working with your company, but it doesn't have to be. And so I think that's part of the point, right? right? Look yeah, at the systems that you're using today, guys. And like, what, how are they talking together? How are they connecting? Kem and I are big believers of, um, like, we're kind of the opposite of you, right? We believe in not being everything to everybody, but we are as open-ended and, and as transparent and collaborative with other organizations as we possibly can be always. We're like, hey, we, we do this, this, and this really super well. If you already have a company doing A and B, we can just come in and do C and we'll work hand in hand with them if you want, you know? Yeah. And I think we need more of that in healthcare. Well, and by the way, the rising tide, you know, raises all ships, right? For us, it's important to be able to go back to our gateway payers. It's, you know, what we call them, right? The ones that use us exclusively and say, hey, your total denial volume has reduced by X, right? Your clean... Providers, I don't think, always understand that that within the, the bowels of payer organizations, within their claim teams, they are measured, uh, uh, they, their KPIs include reduction in denials and reduction in phone calls and clean claim rates and first pass rates. And even, and this is where I'd love to spend a few minutes, even things like overpayment, uh, you know, how many times am I avoiding overpaying a claim, paying it accurately the first time. So frankly, I don't have to engage an overpayment uh, vendor to go chase my providers for revenue I shouldn't have paid in the first place. And then on the back end, what the provider's challenge is when they receive an overpayment is the credit balance. Absolutely. And then that skews our accounts receivables. So trust me, when, when we say to payers, we don't want to be overpaid. We right. promise we don't want extra money for hours because what ends up happening is there's a recruitment process, right? And then, uh, you know, that recruitment recruitment process um, may happen on a totally different claim, exactly. unrelated patient. Uh, it becomes an accounting nightmare. And for a CFO or some, you know, someone who's responsible for managing all of that, it becomes a nightmare. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And Especially when the recruitments and the, and the check return of the overpayment cross. In, right. the, in the mail, so to speak, right? And then and then they're like returning checks and yeah, it becomes an accounting nightmare. And when it's a year later, right? So 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 here's what I would say. Here's what I would say about that. I do believe, and this goes to collaboration between payers and providers, but I actually believe that payers are as focused on it as providers now. And, and I don't think that's always been the case, right? I mean I remember a conversation a few years back with, you know, the head of claims for one of the large national payers. And we were standing in the back of the room at our Connects conference, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, we're talking about overpayment and availability was presenting our approach to reducing overpayment burden. And he's standing there talking to me and he goes, well, wait, you know, that's going to impact my financials. You know, we recovered a billion and a half dollars last year from providers in overpayments. And I looked at him, and I won't use his name, but I looked at him and I said, why did you overpay by a billion and a half dollars in the first place, what, right? What a terrible metric. I mean, 
but I think that is, I think that is changing. <laughs> I, yeah, well, exactly. Now, I really do believe that is that 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 f- philosophical side because that's a siloed thinking, right? If you own payment recovery, you are you 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 are reviewed and evaluated based upon how much you recover. There's a whole shift to that preventative outlook. I feel like that's yep. happening, not just in care management, right? But on that billing side and that management side, we're shifting from a reactive look at things to a proactive look at things. Yep. And I think we had to, there was kind of a pendulum swing, right? We, we started out just being able to fax the payers and saying, Hey, I saw a patient that was $1,500, send me $1,500. Right? right. So we kind of started over there and then we swung all the way over there to, to the payers going, you can only see these patients, but you can only do this service and I will only pay you this. And so now we've kind of, we've got to swing kind of down to the middle, find our balance, yeah. find that even ground. And to your point, I, I agree. I think that they are focused on very much the same thing. I like to pick on them because it's easy. They're big, but I do think, <laughs> I do think that, that there is a lot of effort going into that. And I have some dear friends that work, um, high level positions. And, and I know that they're, they're like, we're trying, I promise yeah. you we're trying. I'm like, I know they, they, they absolutely are. And it's beautiful to see, I think. Well, and I think the thing you have to remember, right. Is, um, the, the systems, the payers are operating. So let's, we'll talk about tech for a second. Those core adjudication systems are for the most part, you know, they're not 21st century, you know, real time, multi-data types, you know, they, they, they were, they work very, very well for the purpose that they were originally designed, but payers, I think, struggle to apply, um, real time, cleaner content, you know, it's just, it's hard to get a lot of that quality content. And, and we know, right. Cause we've implemented dozens and dozens of them. And, you know, our typical implementation time for a gateway payer, you know, we're measuring it in, if we're lucky months, oftentimes we're measuring it in, you know, half of a year plus, cause there's just so much complexity uh, in those core systems. And it's really hard to think about changing them uh, out. So. And, you know, as as we think about the ways in which or, or the processes that payers are kind of operating within, um, we also want to think about the processes that the providers are operating in, right? Yeah. And they don't always align. Um, we we do though. Uh, we do need to have uh, a, a national discussion, I think, on payer provider collaboration. And really making sure that um, significant efforts are continuously being made yeah. uh, to make sure that we're communicating very concisely. And, and Taya, you kind of mentioned this um, during our, our pre-podcast discussion. Um, but you now, our hope is because Taya and I, we've been involved in, in advocacy and making sure that lawmakers understand um, you know, the, the challenges and the opportunities within um, private practices, hospital systems mm-hmm. and other healthcare facilities. Um, and, you know, having that that advocacy, those advocacy opportunities with payers, uh, I think is also important because we don't have the 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 payer reps that we had back yeah. in the day where they would, you know, have the capacity to come to a healthcare facility and, and meet with us and, and talk about updates. They just don't have that capacity anymore, right? 
Um, so, so they don't have the insights that come with that capacity. Right, exactly. Either, because that's the thing is you have these payers who, Kim, you and I, you will remember we went we went toe to toe with a big payer, um, and it and it had to do with checking in every thirty months in that payer specific portal to update all the contact information for every provider in the clinic every thirty days, and we were like, this is completely ridiculous. But the payer had no idea. They don't work in the clinic. They they just see no. the burden it was to them. So we were able to to kind of work it out after that kind of showdown and say, hey, like there's definitely a better way to do this. Yeah. Um, but they also don't. They also no longer have the benefit of of not sending their payer reps on site anymore. Right. It yeah. it's hurt. I think both sides of that fence. But by the way, you just hit on something important, Ty. That, that core problem of provider, what you're talking about is provider data management, right? Provider directory, not just directory, but all the way down through the billing process. You know, it's frankly startling to me. Um, and we have a solution for it that works, that's working really well. But I mean, payers, you know, don't really know the level of detail about their providers that they need to know and asking for it to be updated every 30 days. We know that 2% of all provider data changes every 30 days, right? So, what we've deployed is a real-time continuous update process into the administrative workflow. So, and we're providing intelligence around it, right? So if you submit a claim through Availity for, I'll use one of our good, for, for Anthem, right? And we and Anthem doesn't recognize that address uh, on the claim, rather than a denial, you will get an alert back through availability into your portal that says, hey, you just submitted an elements claim with an address that's not recognized. Would you like to update and attest to your new, uh, to this address? Is, is it a correct address? And if so, would you like to update and attest to that now so that the claim can pass uh, through? So again, it goes back to what we've been talking about, right? That real time versus denying my claim, sending me a notification that, oh, the, I don't know the address. Let's solve those problems before the claim is adjudicated through. So that again, clean claim rate, real-time payment rate, all the things we're talking about can happen. That is such a great point. And and I know, Cam, I know you have to jump in because I, I just keep like steamrolling you, but I have to say this for our rev divers because we've had two clients already this year where their practice management system vendor told them they did not need to use the clearinghouse. Completely, we disagree. We're always going to stand by the fact that all of your claims should be going through a clearinghouse. And we don't talk about this a lot on the show, but it, it's astonishing to me that two different, completely different practice management system vendors said, we'll scrub it for you. And the clean claims rate, it's not just a scrubbing yeah. that happens anymore. And we don't talk about that enough either. Yeah. Well, by the way, you have to, I do think it's important to scrub in the RCM, you know, in the, in the uh, practice management application, but you also got to scrub at the clearinghouse level as well, particularly for a gateway payer, like, like we carry, right? Because we're pulling all those edits way up front into the process. Um, versus, you know, let it flow through and get caught somewhere in the adjudication system. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh, guys, we could keep going forever. <laughs> this has been. And we haven't even talked about OS yet. We got to save two minutes we for OS. Let's talk about that because that is a, a, a national debate right now, right? And, you know, part of the challenges that providers are facing is that it kind of feels like a prepayment delay tactic, right? Um, and Russ, we'd love to get your input on 
how the prior yeah. authorization process um, is, you know, is, is how you're viewing that right now, because there's a lot of change happening. Yeah. So, um, and I know we're running a long time, so I'll just say this. Auth is particularly hard because it is one of the few um, things, I started to use the word transaction, but Auth is not a transaction. And Auth is a conversation between a payer and a provider. A provider who speaks clinical and a payer who is kind of speaks clinical, but is really focused on that Auth process from an administrative uh, perspective. And so the language is different, right? X12 versus HL7. So you've got to translate in the middle. And I think the intent is ultimately the same, but the perspective is a little bit different. And I won't bore you now, but I mean, I have a personal authorization story that just reminds me all the time of the following. You know, physicians practice medicine. It is not an exact uh, science. And in that practice of medicine, there is subjectivity uh, in decision-making. And so off, you know, as a, how do we automate subjectivity? That's hard to do. Where we have focused, and as you guys know, we bought Auth AI, which is a spectacular um, product and tool. We bought that from Olive uh, recently. That is where there's a tremendous opportunity for the application of new technology, particularly um, generative AI, uh, to um, create a, a technology process to automate that conversation between payers and providers. So I'll just use real stats in the um, use case that we have with Florida Blue, who's the, the first uh, um, large payer that we have on AI. We now are getting providers an auth response all the way through to a medical necessity determination, which is super important because as you guys know, right, you can get an auth approval and still get denied for lack of medical necessity. So we go from the auth request all the way through to a medical necessity determination and response back to the provider in 90 seconds. Okay. So here's a cool stat about that. In the implementation of that product, we've seen a 7% reduction in uh, denials. Okay. With no increase in utilization, because that's what payers are worried about, right? You make it easier to get an auth, those utilization increase. So think about that, a 7% reduction in denial rate with no increase in utilization and a 90 second average response time on the answer. So, so, so that tells me generally that the intent is consistent between the provider and payer. It's how you get to that answer really quickly is where the devil is in the details. And I really think we've cracked the code um, here in Florida with Florida Blue using this Auth AI platform. I think that's amazing and I think that when you're talking about authorizations, I'm so happy to hear that there's more positive things happening in the industry just in general. Around authorizations, I was working with a company and we were doing some research recently. And one of the conversations, um, I was interviewing a, a payer at the time off camera. And, and the question really was, if they authorize or they require authorization on 100% of a medication, right? Anytime this medication is given, they require an authorization. 97% of the time, it's going to be granted. Why do they require the auth, right? And I asked, I said, is it really that beneficial to you? And they said, absolutely, because that 3% so far outweighs the cost of all of the employees, all of the workflow, all the internal operational costs. And for me, that was a light bulb moment because yeah. I had no idea that that cost was so astronomically high for them. 
So I found that really, really shocking, which to your point, I mean, that's why we need to have these conversations with the payers, yeah, right? Completely agree. Absolutely. So as, as we wrap up first, you know, again, Russ, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, your knowledge. Um, we like to leave our rev divers with, a, you know, a, I, I guess some some thoughts from our guests on ways that um, they would recommend kind of improving one aspect of their organization. And one of the things that we've talked about today is the payer provider collaboration. Um, and if you have any thoughts on ways that that we can do that, um, we'd love for you to kind of close us out with with, your, yeah. with those thoughts. Well, you know, selfishly, I'll say um, I'd say that I think that you know that's kind of where we focus as a company, right? Is how do you drive? Because I think if you look at our business mix, you know, maintaining a position in the center of that relationship as a trusted uh, partner, or we sometimes say the trusted intermediary. Um, is just core to us. So, so we are never going to do anything that um, prejudices one side versus the other, or frankly, that benefits one side uh, against the other. My belief, you know, my core why as a as a leader and uh, for availability is I think everybody del deserves a delightful healthcare experience, right? Why can't we have the same experience with healthcare as I do when I go on Amazon to, you know, to buy you know, whatever I happen to be buying uh, today? Um, without having to pick up the phone and call. I don't think I've ever called Amazon. I wouldn't know how if I need, you know, if I wanted to. And I just fundamentally believe that, you know, that's why we exist as a company. Um, because of that, we do a lot to drive payer provider collaboration, including, as we spoke about, um, an annual conference that we call Availability Connects, where we put um, leaders from the, some of the largest health systems in the country and the largest health plans in the country in a room together for two or three days. Um, there's plenty of good food and uh, alcohol uh, to get the conversation going and just have these awesome, um, real, right? Not sort of way up here where everything is shiny and sun is shining and beautiful, but, you know, down in the weeds of, you know, how do we solve some of these discrete, very, very painful um, workflow problems in, in healthcare? Um, and we post on those and we share what we learn. And then we, we drive a lot of our whole product uh, uh, roadmap around those opportunities. We'd love to have you guys there, by the way. I think, you know, that, that'd be a great way to drive collaboration education is let's have you come to our conference uh, next year. food and alcohol. So we were just yeah. going to show up. But yeah, <laughs> invited is way better than invited is way better. Is even yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll make sure that you're you're invited, and uh, be a great opportunity to uh, to have you talk to some of our um, customers and business partners and thought leaders. Uh, oh, I think it'd be really good. We would love that. That would be so much fun. Thank you so much, Russ and um, Rev Divers. Thank you so much for sticking in here with us and. Uh, learning with us because it's, you know, we're, we all learn every single day. Um, it's always great having you all as a part of our tribe of revenue cycle integrity and revenue cycle managers. Um, until we meet again, guys, keep diving into those rev cycles.